Good morning. All right, we'll be in 1 Timothy three fourteen through 16. So if you would turn there, if you have a Bible with you, that'd be great. The middle verse there, verse 15, you know, I told you this is a pastoral epistle and that Paul was writing to Timothy to tell him how the church is to operate. We find that in verse 15. It says, I'm writing this stuff to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Now, the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So I'm going to do uh, something a little bit different today. Normally, I will try to look at the scripture, understand the scripture, explain the scripture, and then apply the scripture. That's what a preacher is supposed to do. Today, I'm going to uh, emphasize a little bit our commitment to the church. Now, there's nothing explicitly demanding our commitment to the church in this text, but it is saying that this is the family of God, the church of the Lord Jesus. The commitment to the church is assumed on every page of the New Testament. You know, the Old Testament begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't begin in a way that explains to you who God is or that there is a God. It doesn't start out by saying, all right, there is this being who has always existed and who is uh, omnipotent and omniscient and, and loving and wise. They, they assume that you know there's a God. And most people throughout human history have understood if we see creation, there must be a creator, right? So that's just understood in verse 1 of Genesis. Well, the New Testament assumes that we understand a commitment to the church. Uh, It's on every page. I mean, most of the letters were written to a church, You know, it wasn't culturally beneficial in the first century to go to a Christian church, right? Uh, You would go to a pagan celebration or you would go to a Jewish uh, gathering. But to go to a New Testament Christian church when these letters were being written was not something you did to get ahead in business, right? It wasn't a cultural thing, but of course they were going to gather together. Guys, these folks believed... If you, can, if you can understand this, these folks believed that there was a guy who was sent by God who was actually God in the flesh and that he lived among us and then he died for the sake of sinners and that he was raised from the dead. They believe that, and so of course they're going to gather together, right? They're going to gather together, and they're going to hear what that guy wants them to do. And so there aren't a ton of passages in the New Testament saying, guys, you ought to prioritize church, because it was assumed that of course you were going to gather together. I don't often ask participation questions, but I'm going to ask this one, so don't be shy. How many of you were reared by parents who taught you that the priority on Sunday was to go to church? Raise your hand. Are you grateful for that heritage? All right. I am too. The church today desperately needs families 
teaching their children that what God commands is not optional. Okay? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews is saying you need to gather together and encourage one another even more as you see the day drawing near. Well, Hebrews was written a long time ago. And so even more is now. Parents, grandparents, if you teach your kids that that command right there is optional, then please don't be surprised when they reason out that every other command must be optional. We've got to teach them to obey what the Lord says. Now, my kids have seen me mess up a lot. To be, to be more candid and more pointed, my children have seen me sin a lot. But I can honestly say, I do not think they doubt my commitment to the Lord or my commitment to His church. They know I'm real far from perfect. But I get the easy things, the easy things right. (laughs) Many people who claim to follow Christ have very, very little commitment to his bride. In his book, The Church, The Gospel Made Visible, Pastor Mark Dever writes about this problem. He says, for too many Christians today, the doctrine of the church is like a decoration on the front of a building. Maybe it's pretty, maybe it's not. But finally, it's unimportant because it bears no weight. Yet nothing could be further from the truth. The doctrine of the church is of the utmost importance. And check this out. It is the most visible part of Christian theology. And it is vitally connected to every other part. I couldn't have said it that well and I couldn't agree more. Now I understand that when I talk about it's important to gather together and to be here as the church gathers on Sunday morning to worship, that that may, you may be tempted to say, okay, that's a little bit self-serving on your part, right? Because you want people to come and hear what you have to say. Well, guilty as charged. I do want you to come hear what I have to say because I spend time in the Word every week and God teaches me stuff. And I want to share that stuff with you. But ultimately, guys, it's of absolutely no consequence what I want. Okay, I'm not your Lord. I'm not your master. I'm, you don't have to answer to me. So I, I know there are people who, if you said, um, I know I'm kind of old, but I'm not the oldest one in here. Did, has anybody ever seen the Beverly Hillbillies? You know, when Granny would get in the mood, there was no way to not argue with Granny, right? And there are some people that are just ornery. You know, if you say, isn't the sun pretty today, they'll say, no, I hate the sun, it gives me cancer, you know. And so I realize if I say, would you commit yourself to come to the church every time we gather? There are going to be people who go, you're not my boss, and I'm not going to do what you say. I understand. It doesn't matter. What we need to realize, though, is that God is our boss, and he says, don't forsake assembling together. 
If he's your master, just do what he says. Now, I don't always do what he says. I've already admitted that, right? But I need to take advantage of the easy things, okay? On Sunday morning, I and my family are going to be at church. Now, we don't have to go to the trouble of making that decision every week. It's a once and done thing. Uh, Dr. Rogers used to give this example. He would say, look, when I go out of town on business, I don't have to go back to my hotel room and decide whether I'm going to watch a pornographic thing that I could rent on, in a hotel. I've already decided. I don't have to make that decision again. And so it's the same thing with us guys on Sunday morning. You don't have to decide if you're going to come to church. Decide once and for all that you're going to be there. Let me urge you to take advantage of the easy things to get right because we're going to fail in other areas. So I'm going to ask you today to decide ahead of time that you'll obey God's command to not forsake assembling together. Do you know what I'll be doing March 2nd of 2025 if I am alive and if the Lord allows me to? I'll give you a hint. It's a Sunday. (laughs) I'm going to be in church. Now, you may say, well, what if something comes up? What if I am sick and I feel like I would infect those around me? Then, of course, I'm going to stay home, right? Because I don't want to make other people sick. Um, If my mother is in the hospital, then, yeah, I may go out of town and see my mom. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if we're able to come and the Lord doesn't providentially hinder us, I'm going to be there. Now, okay, what about, what if there's a Harry Connick Jr. concert the night before in New Orleans. Well, the scripture doesn't tell me whether or not I should go to a Harry Connick Jr. concert. My personal taste and the fabulous nature of his musicianship makes me think I should go. <laughs> okay, But if I go, I will go in light of what the scripture does tell me about the next morning. You see what I'm saying? I'm either not going to go because I'm going to say, I can't get back in time and get rested enough to go to church. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to say, I'm going to suck it up, sleep my five hours and get to church in the morning. Okay? You may say, well, yeah, well, you're a pastor, dummy. Of course you're going to go to church. (laughs) The problem is that Hebrews 10.25 was not written exclusively to pastors. It was written to every single follower of Christ. Now, I have some theories that you probably don't care to hear on how we got to this sad place where we regularly forsake assembling together for any reason or for no reason. But part of the problem may be that we have not taught enough on what the Bible says about the church. Let's look at that together today in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, before we look more closely at these things Paul says about the church, please notice the reason for the letter 
is so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This, this uh, epistle not only tells us how to act in the church, but also gives us a lot of insight into how we should think about the church. Now, today's passage is not so much about how to act. He's already talked about, hey, here's, here's what pastors are supposed to be like. Here's what deacons are supposed to be like. In a couple of chapters, he's going to address everybody and say, look, this is how we deal with our, um, our more, you know, our older folks. We honor them. And he's going to tell us about how we act to one another in the church. That's going to come in a later chapter. But let's see if we can learn some things about the church that should lead us to greater devotion to the church, to her mission, and ultimately, of course, to her Savior. The first thing is the church is God's family. Now, we just read that it is the household of God. Who's in your household? Mine consists of me, Melissa, Stephanie, Catherine, and Gabriel. My household, at least theoretically, operates by my rules as the head of that household. Now, we as God's children are to operate by His rules when it comes to His household and every other time, right? One of those rules is, as we've already seen in Hebrews 10, we show up. Uh, There's a show. uh, There's not a whole lot of network television that I enjoy. One of the ones that I do like is called Blue Bloods. There's this family of uh, police and a police commissioner in New York, and... um, They are a tight-knit Catholic family. They have a lot to do during the week. There's always some very dramatic thing happening with each, each of the individuals, right? But they get together on Sunday after worship to have lunch, and they all gather, and they all have that time of bonding because it's a family, and they believe that family time is important. I'm telling you, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tells us that God thinks family time is important. I'm going to read that one more time. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we're to stir one another up. Uh, guys, sometimes we stir one another up in a bad way, but we need to stir one another up toward love and good works. Guys, you can't do that if you don't come here. You can't encourage me if you don't come here. I can't encourage you if I don't come here. We gather together so that we can encourage one another to love and good works. Uh, I didn't ask Angie if I could say this, but she'll forgive me, I bet. Angie had an idea to bless and encourage some kids at one of our local schools the other day. She brought in some speakers to encourage them, to share the gospel with them, and to kind of point them in the right direction. And uh, she fed them a really nice supper that she made. Hopefully a positive impact was made on those kids, some parents, um, maybe some school officials, some teachers, and some administrators. She got other people involved in that good work that she was doing. And we came up here and we helped serve a little bit. She stirred us up to a good work, right? She couldn't have done that if she hadn't shown up and asked for participation. Guys, we are to love one another. And that's something we have to do together. You know, you hear about these dropout dads, right? 
And this dropout dad that abandons his family and doesn't see him for 20 years could say that he loves him. He doesn't love him or he would have been there, right? So we are to show love for one another. And again, we've got to show up to do that. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Another reason that we gather together is we are to show the world Jesus' handiwork. By this, John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So guys, if we actually do love one another, not just tolerate one another, not just agree to get together for an hour on Sunday, but if we love one another, then people who come in say, man, how can people of different backgrounds, different socioeconomic kind of values, how can they all get together and truly love one another that way? How can somebody who is not related to this other person love them enough that they would do anything in the world for them? We had a small group at the church I came from, and there was a lady in there who was advanced in age. I don't know how old she was, but probably 80-ish. And she said, guys, I, I don't have any siblings. I never married. I don't have any children. I really don't know what's going to happen to me uh, when I get to where I can't take care of myself. And one of the members of that small group, who's a, who was a friend of mine, he said, We'll take care of you. And then he said, it occurred to me after that meeting that I meant that. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm not her relative, um, but I love her. She is my sister in Christ. And there is no way that if she got to where she couldn't take care of herself, there's nothing I wouldn't sacrifice to make sure she was taken care of. And the other people in the small group would do it too. Guys, that is the kind of love for one another that preaches volumes to those outside the church. Speaking of which, Galatians 6.2 says we are to bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then guys, another important reason, and we started with this this morning, that you should be here and be committed, is we need to teach that to our children like so many of us were blessed to learn from our parents. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. When your children are fully trained, are they going to be committed to the gathering of the church? Because they're going to be like their teacher, we see right here. Let me encourage you again to teach your children to obey the Lord. If he says don't forsake the assembly, then don't forsake the assembly. Now I know some of you guys are saying, well my kids are grown and gone. Good, teach this to, their, to your grandchildren. Share this with your children and say, listen guys, what you do is going to be what they do. Now, theoretically, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes a kid goes off in the wrong direction. But what you want to do is you want to model faithfulness to the church so that your kids will be able someday when their pastor asks them how many of you were taught that the priority on Sunday morning was to be at church you want your kids to raise their hand okay and you want your grandkids and you want their kids so if you don't have any kids share this with those you do have an impact on 
Now, I know some of you may think, well, okay, I want my kids to obey God on the big stuff, right? But I don't want them to be so, you know, uptight that they think they have to show up at church every single time. I don't think it works that way. If you teach them that some of God's commands are optional, they're going to reason out that, well, the ones I don't want to obey are optional, you know? So we don't want to teach them that. Back in our text in 1 Timothy, verse 15 says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Then check this out. A pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, both pillars and buttresses add stability. The church is to be the guardian of the truths of Scripture. False teachers will try to twist Scripture. You know that. They will try to bend it to say what they want it to say. The church needs to unwaveringly defend the true gospel against every attempt at perversion. We are to be the stabilizing pillars and buttresses of the truth. Now, Paul goes on to include what may have been a part of a hymn. Um, it, you know, he's talking along normally, and then he, start, he starts laying out these truths one after another. And people think that maybe that was a hymn or a, or a saying that was going around in the church of a, a very early on creed. Look with me in verse 16. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the, word, in the world, taken up in glory. Guys, one of the reasons that we have to join together and that we have to commit to be part of the body of the church is that we have to defend the truths of Scripture. There should never be an occasion where a preacher comes in, preaches something false, and we all just shut up and smile and nod because we don't know any better. We've got to come, we've got to participate, and we've got to protect these truths. By using the word mystery, he doesn't mean something that's confusing or hidden. He is saying that, you know, it's not something that's just hard to understand when he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. But rather, it's something that had been hidden previously, and now in Christ was made manifest to us all. God himself, it says here, was manifested in the flesh. Uh, I seriously doubt any of us remember a Christmas time uh, sermon. But we talked about, at Christmas, some of the expectations that people had for the Messiah. You know, we understood that a prophesied um, prophet was coming. We knew that a prophet was coming who was going to be like Moses. Uh, we understood from the Old Testament that there was going to be a king coming. We understood from the Old Testament that there was a priest who was coming. But we didn't understand that all of these things would be wrapped up in the person of Christ. God himself was manifested in the flesh. The mystery around the person and work of the Messiah was completely revealed in Jesus that God would condescend to the point of becoming a person, I think was incomprehensible. But that's precisely what the Bible teaches us did happen. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not 
count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God was manifested in the flesh. We need to guard that truth. We need to teach that truth. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Now, he was vindicated or justified or declared righteous. Those are all synonym kind of thoughts. By the Spirit. Can you think of a time when the Holy Spirit testified on behalf of Jesus? I mean, we all realize that at Jesus' baptism, that was one. Uh, Luke 3, 21 and 22 says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the Spirit witnessed, testified of who Christ was. The ultimate vindication of Jesus was his resurrection from the dead. Now guys, I could say that I'm the Messiah. If I were uh, probably taller, darker, and thinner, uh, I could probably convince some people to buy some uh, land out in Wyoming and we could have a little ranch there and we could have a lot of guns and I could tell them I'm the Messiah, right? And there are a few crazy people who are probably mentally ill that would believe me and we could all hang out on the ranch together. So anybody can say that they're the Messiah. Now you want me to prove it? Here's how you prove it. If you kill the guy and he comes back to life in three days, then you better believe everything he said, right? And so the ultimate vindication of who Christ was, was the resurrection from the dead. Romans 1.4 says, And he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Spirit, though, continues even now to testify about Jesus. In John 15.26 we read, But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. The next line in this thing that may have been an early hymn says that Jesus was seen by angels. Now angels gave testimony of Jesus. Uh, They announced his birth in Luke chapter 2. They announced his resurrection in Matthew 28. And they witnessed his ascension in Acts chapter 1. He is proclaimed among the nations. How is he proclaimed among the nations? Through and by the church. Do you want another reason why you should come to the gathering of the church? That is to participate in the ministries of the church. Guys, it's our job to proclaim Jesus among the nations. Some folks think that's the preacher's job. You are absolutely correct, unless you think it is only the preacher's job. It is the preacher's job. I welcome that job. But it's our job, guys. If you think that proclaiming Jesus and his gospel is exclusively the job of the pastor, then you are believing one of Satan's favorite and most effective lies. Guys, you have more influence with your friends and neighbors than I will ever have. If you really want West Laurel to succeed, are you ready for a bombshell? I have a plan for West Laurel to succeed. You ready? Here's what we do. 
We show up every time. We pray. We participate in everything we do. We look for opportunities to share the gospel. And then when the Lord gives you those opportunities, you are faithful to share the gospel. And we invite people to church with you every single week. Now, does anyone here think that won't work if we all did it? I think we all know it would work if we all did it. Does anyone here think we'll all do it? (laughs) Well, no. Okay, why is that? Apathy. Apathy is why we won't do it. And another word for apathy is disobedience, right? Apathy and disobedience. Of course, I'm not talking about disobedience to me. It doesn't matter if you obey me. Uh, You have no reason to obey me. I'm not your father except for, you know, three of us in here. But we do need to obey the Lord. We have unfortunately realized that it is unlikely that everyone will do the six things that I just mentioned. But what about you? All right. You are the one that is going to be accountable to God for whether or not you were faithful to his bride. For whether or not you participated in the ministry of the church. Right. For whether or not you prayed and asked God to bring souls to him. Whether or not you witnessed on behalf of the Lord. He told you to. We know he told you to. We talked about it basically all of 2019. We know that that Great Commission is for us. We know that 2 Corinthians 5 tells us we are to be ambassadors of Christ. So you are the only one that you're going to have to answer for. But how are you going to be able to answer? We need some folks to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and mean it. Not for a day or for a week or when it's convenient, but all the time, whether we feel like it or not, whether it is convenient or not. Men, it is your job to lead this in your family. If your family is forsaking the assembly that lands on you ultimately, step up. Jesus is proclaimed among the nations by churches of people who are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, then you are an ambassador. You may say, I didn't ask for that job. Well, too bad. If you are a follower of Christ, you are an ambassador. Now, you can be a bad ambassador or you can be a good ambassador, but you don't have the choice of, nah, I think I won't do that. You are an ambassador. Now that hymn goes on to tell us that he is believed on in the world. The church, now which is you and I, right? (laughs) The church is not the building. The church is me and you gathered together, right? We are guaranteed success for two reasons. Now, there's a guarantee of success, guys. This is good news. This ought to motivate us even more to witness. One is, obedience is success regardless of the outcome, right? I cannot force you to repent and believe in Christ. You can't force anybody else to. If I could force people to, man, would I be doing it? (laughs) Everybody I came in contact with, I'd be forcing them to. So obedience is success regardless of the outcome. But the second thing I want you to see comes from Acts 2, 13, 48. It says this regarding the witness of Paul and Barnabas. 
Listen carefully. And when the Gentiles heard this, that's the proclamation of the gospel from Paul and Barnabas, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So we got two things. Success is guaranteed by obedience. Now, everybody that hears you, everybody that hears the gospel from you is not going to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord, okay? Not everybody will. But as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So when you go out and share your faith, as many as are appointed to eternal life will believe through your testimony. Whether or not people repent and place their faith in Christ is above your pay grade. We can't do it. We can't make them do it. But some people will have their entire eternity altered. And you will have had the privilege of being a part of that. Guys, we want to have meaning. We want there to be something substantial on our tombstone, right? At least metaphorically speaking. We want to have impacted somebody when we die. There is no greater impact you can possibly have than changing the eternal destiny of somebody. Now, you know, I'm not saying we can by ourselves do that, but we can be used in that process. That is something to spend your time, effort, and energy on. Jesus will be believed on in the world. Most of us here are proof of that, right? Finally, our text tells us that Jesus was taken up in glory. He is now interceding for the redeemed. He told us that he would never leave us or forsake us, and he sent the Spirit to indwell and empower the believer. Our Lord was taken up in glory, and one day he will return in glory. An angel tells us that in Acts 1.11. He says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. What do you want him to find you doing when he returns? Do you want to be found faithful when he returns? Or do you want to be found pursuing the things of the world? We have one primary job as the church, and that is to make disciples. Guys, how you finish the race is really important. When Jesus returns, do you want to be found fishing or fighting? Fishing for men. You can't fish and fight at the same time. Which one do you want Jesus to catch you doing when he returns? Do you want to be found laying up treasure in heaven or laying up treasure on earth when your Lord returns? Here's why we need to get the gospel to people. Every other religion. And guys, I hope you were here last weekend. I hope you were at the Bible conference. We got a wonderful explanation of how every other religion operates on that basis of quid pro quo, right? We have got to do something to make God happy with us. Now, guys, your neighbors think this. Uh, now, there may be a few of your neighbors who are believers or even maybe a few who aren't believers but who actually understand the gospel. But, guys, most people don't understand this. And I know we tend to think, man, we live in Mississippi. Of course they know the gospel. I don't need to witness to my neighbor. It's not true. They are operating on that quid pro quo. 
be good and go to heaven. You know, what they think is, God is good, you're bad, try harder. Guys, you can, you can think that, and you can try as hard as possible, and you will never, never do good enough. Jimmy sings this song that I love. It's called, Were It Not For Grace. I can tell you where I'd be, and that is chasing after that perfection and never, never catching it. Be like one of those greyhounds running around after that rabbit. They don't ever catch that rabbit, right? You would be pursuing living up to God's standards of perfection and never, never get there. That's what we have to tell them. There are people on this street right out here. Uh, if I could throw a football like Drew Brees, I could take a football right out here and throw it and hit a house where I witnessed to a young lady and I asked her, to you, who is Jesus? And she said, I, I think it was a white guy. Honestly, that was her answer. She wasn't trying to be a jerk at all. That's, what she, that's the extent of what she thought she knew about Jesus. Now, most of your friends know a lot more about Jesus than that. But they still believe God is good, you're bad, try harder. Guys, I want to ask you to commit yourselves to the church, to the mission of the church, and to the Savior of the church. If you're trying to figure out what you're going to be doing next weekend, or March 2nd of 2025, or whatever that date was, decide today. Now guys, I know stuff comes up, and if you're here today and you say, I wasn't here last Sunday, so Brother Steve's talking bad about me. No, I'm not. I understand things come up. You deal with God. If God says, you got some work to do here, then do work there, okay? If there's a fault in your commitment, deal with God about it and deal with God honestly about it. If there's not a fault in your commitment, then don't worry about it. I'm not talking to you, okay? But then let's get dedicated to the mission too. Guys, I I was sharing with Jimmy that I spent last year saying this and I can't see that it's affecting how most of us operate from day to day now guys it, it, I'm not burdened about the fact that I can't talk you into stuff I'm burdened about the fact that if I reveal from scripture that God tells us we are individually each to be communicating the gospel to people if I can show you that from scripture and you go eh, oh well that's what grieves me, okay, guys? That's where we have to realize, we have to be honest. We have to say, God, is this your command for me? If it is your command for me, I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it because I'm a little bit scared to do it. I don't know when I'm going to do it because I'm really busy. But I'm going to do it, okay? If I didn't love you, I wouldn't care so much. Now, here's the gospel that we have to communicate. Guys, we have to tell folks that it's not what they presently understand. It's not that God's good, you're bad, and you've got to try harder. It's that God's good, you're bad, and so there's no way to fix it. Except the way that God provided when he sent Jesus Christ to live the life you couldn't live. To die the death that you deserved. And that he's willing to trade places with you. He's willing to give you his righteousness. 
and take on your sin, which he paid for at the cross, if you will repent of your sins and place your faith in him. If we'll give that message to folks, we have succeeded because obedience is success. And because we just read from the book of Acts that those who are appointed to eternal life will believe.